All right. Uh, here we are, 1 John, chapter 2, verses 15 to 27. Scams. How good are you at spotting scams? When I was at university, I, I received an email. It was entitled, Paul Sings. Uh, and it was from a, a group of guys who said they're, they'd heard me, about me singing and they were interested in finding out a bit more. We signed at the bottom uh, by Gary, Mark, Howard, and Jason. Now, um, I didn't bother replying. I thought this is either a scam or one of my friends pranking me. Or I've missed out on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of singing. We take that. But that seemed fairly obvious. I, I didn't fall for that. But there are other sort of scams and tricks that are a lot more sophisticated. And so there are telephone scammers. When they ring you up and you hang up, they can keep that line open. And so if you ring the bank afterwards, just to check, or you ring the police, actually they're still on the line and they pretend, or someone else pretends to be the police and the bank, and they try and steal your details that way. And so we're warned about those types of scams. And they tell us, you know, if, if you need to ring the bank, ring from another line or put the phone down and wait for at least 10 minutes and they get bored and they hang up. These are sophisticated scams. These are scams that would seek to trick us. And we warn, don't assume you're not going to get tricked. Look out, watch out for these scams. And yet it's not just financial scams that we experience that come at us. There's also spiritual scams. Scams that aren't designed to rob us of our finances, but to seek to steal the gift of eternal life from us. And if we need to be alert to these financial scams, how much more do we need to be alert to spiritual scams? And we've been working through Wong John. Last week we were considering uh, this need to stay on the same track, walk in the light. As we come to our passage this morning, there's a warning against these forces that would seek to derail us, that would seek us to, to lead us away. These scams, watch out. There are scammers about. Uh, so three things um, we're going to take from this passage. How do we respond? Uh, renounce, recognize, and remain. Gone for three R's. Renounce, recognize, and remain. We're going to begin looking at verses 15 to 17. Renounce. Renounce the world. So if you have your Bibles uh, with you, do have them open. Uh, John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So the command is pretty clear here, isn't it? Do not love the world or anything in the world. But what does the command actually mean? To not love the world. Surely it can't mean that we just go off and we live in a cave and we have no interaction with the world, so we're not tempted to love it. And it, it can't possibly mean that, can it? That's not what Jesus and his disciples did. So we need to ask this question, what is meant by the world? Do not love the world. What is it that we are not meant to love? Later in this letter, chapter 5, verse 19, 
John will go and describe the world as being under the control of the evil one. And it's a theme that is picked up in John's gospel as well. So in John 12, 31 and 16, 11. The world that is under the control of the evil one, the prince of this world. So when John is speaking of the world here, he's speaking about a kingdom. And this kingdom is in direct opposition to God. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Just as we saw last week, you can't claim to have fellowship with God and to walk in darkness, that the two are completely opposed. You can't have love for the Father and love for the world. Do not love the world. To take an example, let's just say there's an allied soldier from World War II. They, at that time, they're not to love Nazi Germany. And that doesn't mean that they can't love the country of Germany, the natural beauty that's there. They can't, doesn't mean that they can't look forward to one day walking through the fields and visiting the towns and the cities. It doesn't mean that they can't have a deep love and an affection and a concern for the people of that country. But they are not to love, if you're not to love Nazi Germany as an allied soldier, you're not to love you know, that regime, the regime of Nazism, the, the ideology And I think we'd all agree that makes perfect sense. That's a good, that's a right, that's a proper response. And yet there's something more insidious than 1930s Nazism. And fascism is just this tendril of this kingdom that is in opposition to God. One that John describes here in the term world. Because 1 John 5, 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This kingdom that is in opposition to God. These forces, these kingdoms that are in conflict. And it's not a kingdom that is tied to one particular culture in one particular place at one particular time. As though we say, well, the kingdom of the world, that's just the Roman Empire. Or that's just certain manifestations maybe of of communism. That's some of the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan at the moment with IS. It's described as the world because it's the whole world, 1 John 5.19, is under the control, the influence of the evil one. Now that's going to get manifested in different ways, in different places, in different cultures at different times. The manifestation that we experience in the West is different to the way that the kingdom of the world is manifested in other parts of the world. But it is this kingdom, this force that is in direct opposition to God. And so we're told here, do not love the world. Do not embrace the world. And that doesn't mean that we can't care for creation, as we're commanded to do. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the gifts of creation. Now, all that God created is good. It is to be received with thanksgiving. It doesn't mean we can't have a deep love and affection and concern for the people of the world, which we are called to do. Do not love the world means do not get sucked into, do not embrace, do not chase the way of the world, the kingdom of the world, this kingdom that is under the control, that is in opposition to God. Do not love the world or anything in the world. So what's the anything in the world? Well, have a look, verse 16, it's going to unpack what that means. 
for everything in the world. Let's unpack that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So it says these lusts, these desires of the world, they don't originate with God. They come from the world, the world that is under the control of the evil. These lusts, these desires, they're distorted, they're short-sighted desires, lusts of the flesh and lusts of the eyes. And the pride of life, which in some translations also gets translated as the pride of possessions, really speaks of this delusional security that is based on what you possess. I've got this thing, so I'm safe and I'm secure. So kind of the way these three things could work together, it's I desire this thing, I need this thing, I see that thing that is going to secure what I need, I take, I possess that thing, now I'm fine. Now I'm secure, now I can be confident because I possess that thing. And it's a way of life that is in complete opposition to God. And it's a scam. Now, one of the ways that the scams work is they, they prey on us and they convince us that either there's something we don't have that we need, or maybe there's something we had that we've lost, all to steal something that we genuinely do have. And in this case, it's not finances. It's the life that we have in Christ. It's a scam. It's a scam that began back in the garden with Satan's deception. And we just think back to, to the garden and there's the woman and the man, Adam. We know he's next to the woman, but we read that this temptation, this deception comes in. The woman looks at the tree and sees what is desirable for gaining wisdom. There's a desire, there's, in some ways we could say a lust of the flesh, not for food. That could be one manifestation, that we're hungry, and the way that that manifests itself. But here there's a desire for wisdom, and a wisdom aside from God. This distorted desire. And then the fruit is pleasing to the eye. There's this short-sighted view of, of what is it in front. I mean, never mind the fact that God said, you eat of that fruit and you will die, and this death fruit, oh, particularly at this point in time, it looks very attractive. The lust of the eyes, it's a short-sighted, it's a temporal view of things. And then this, this draw, this deception, you eat from that fruit, you will become like God. And you will be able to distinguish between good and between evil. Well, what is that? That is autonomy. You know, if I've got that, then I'm, I make the decisions, I'm secure. It's the pride of life, the pride of, of possession, possessing this autonomy. It's, it's a lie, it's a deception, it's a scam that originated back in the garden, and it's the same process that Satan has used ever since. Because it works. It's the way of the world. Don't get sucked into it, don't love the world, don't love the things of the world. It is a scam. Because the desires of the world pass away. The world and its desires pass away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. Don't get sucked into this. John is writing to those who have 
eternal life. Those who, who know the Father, who know the Son. Don't throw it away for the empty promises of this world, the world and its desires that pass away. Because God in his goodness, he will not allow them to continue. They are in opposition to him and to his good rule and his reign. And one of the results of it is we just fight one another. And that desire to possess. And it's a scam. The way of the world leads only to death. But whoever does the will of the Father, whoever does the will of God, lives, or could be translated, abides, remains forever. And that word abiding, remaining, it becomes something of a theme going through the verses that we've looked at this morning. So how do we avoid being scammed? Well, one of the first things uh, is that we renounce the world, the way of the world, this big scam that would seek to suck us in. And secondly, uh, recognize, recognize the lie. Now have a look at verse 18. Verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. So the world is passing away. The world and its desires pass away. In fact, we're told it's the last hour. It's towards the end of its passing away. Don't build your life on something that is about to expire. It's the last hour. How do we know it's the last hour? Well, because the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now, building on this teaching of Scripture, the teaching of Jesus, that there's going to be this kind of great push of deception from Satan, the way of the world, and saying that we should expect scams to continue right until the very end. So be alert, be on your guard. This isn't something that just ended in the first century. Scams are present now and they will continue to the very end. Now regarding the Antichrists, we're told in verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained, is that word again, remain, abide? They would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So this group of Antichrists, Christ, they originated within a church community, whether that's the community John is writing from or the community he's writing to, we can't be certain, but they they originated within this community. And yet John says, actually, they didn't originate from us. They've appeared to originate from us. They've they've come from us, but then they're not really from us. If they were really, truly part of that original community, that community of based and holding on to gospel truth, then they wouldn't have gone out with this message. They appear to have originated from us, but they haven't. And so these antichrists, they look like they're part of this historical line of Christianity. And at first glance, at first appearance, they look like they're a continuation of the truth, but they're not. They're a deviation from the truth. And just like with financial scams, we're talking, watch out, they will, financial scams, they will disguise themselves to look like they're a reputable company. So they'll take the logo, they'll take the image, 
that they'll fake the email address, they'll fake the telephone number, so that when you see it, the initial response is, my goodness, you know, this is the tax company, this is Amazon, this is PayPal, I've either underpaid something or you know, some of my details have been stolen in the hope that you're drawn in and think this is genuine, this is true, I'm going to respond to it. We're told to watch out. Watch out for financial scams because they will use those tricks. And we're warned the same here with spiritual scams. It looks like they've, they've originated, that they've come from this group. But John says they haven't. They're not part of the authentic group. And there will be those bringing a false teaching who will claim Christian pedigree. Now, if, if this was several decades ago, we would probably be saying as a church, now watch out when you go to a Christian bookshop. Not every single book in that Christian bookshop is necessarily going to be gospel truth. Not every single book that claims it is writing from a Christian perspective is that necessarily going to be the case? Uh, and that's despite, you know, all the, the hoops that you need to jump through to get a book published. But we live in the era of the internet. The internet is a back door to the main stage. Like, there aren't hoops that you need to jump through. Anyone can publish anything that they want. And so it's something we need to be aware of, that just because we're, we're watching something online, and they claim to be teaching gospel truth. They maybe even claim links with certain Christian groups. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is gospel truth. We just need to be careful. We need to watch out. Uh, and this, this warning that John gives is a warning for us. So you see verse 20 and verse 21. Who's he writing to? Well, you, you have anointing from the Holy One. Speaking of the work of the Spirit, we'll come to that a bit later. And all of you know the truth. You already know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. And John is writing to those who know the truth. He's not writing to those who've expressed some interest in Christianity and his concern, well, now, there are lots of people talking about a different type of Jesus, and maybe they'll go down the wrong avenue. But you are a people who know the truth, who have this anointing. You've been given the Spirit. Your eyes have been opened to the truth. But even then, you still need to be aware. You need to be careful. We need to be careful. As a church, now what messages are, are we listening to? Are we testing them? Are we seeing that this is indeed truly the truth? So many voices come at us today. You say, not just from books, but, but from internet, from everything. And the lie will disguise itself as the truth. Antichrist will disguise himself as being part of the, the genuine, historic, gospel truth. So how are we going to recognize the lie? If it looks... Similar at first glance. How do we recognize it? Well, we're told we recognize it from the teaching. Verse 22. Well, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. 
How is it we recognize the teaching of the Antichrist? It's an Antichrist teaching. It's a teaching that is against Christ. It's a teaching that is in opposition to Christ. It says Jesus is not the Christ. By implication, it's saying something else is. That's the teaching of the Antichrist, denying that Jesus is the Christ. Now, again, some of the exact nuances, the way that this was manifested in the first century in this particular church, and that theories are many and they're various. But at its core, what's the teaching of the Antichrist? It is the denial that Jesus is the Christ. And at its most basic level, the term Christ means God's anointed one. It is the chosen king who will bring about deliverance. That's what Christ means at its most basic level. But, Rich, words only have meaning. Words only have meaning with a context and a context. Words only have meanings with a context and a context. So, what is the context? What is the context? How does John describe Jesus being the Christ? Well, John's gospel. John 20, verse 31. Now, these things are written... These signs, I've written this so that what you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. Messiah just being the Hebrew word of the Greek Christ. These are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? John tells us in John's Gospel. He lays it out in John's Gospel. As we've seen as we've gone through 1 John, there's allusions to that going back to what's written in John's Gospel. So in chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, we've heard, we've seen with our eyes. Verse 2, we've got the life appears. We proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. So Jesus Christ is not just simply God's chosen king. There's a greater depth to it. It's God himself come in human flesh. The word becomes flesh. What does it mean for him to be the deliverer? Well, chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Again, linking back to some of the things that we read in John's gospel. That Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. How does he bring about deliverance? He brings about deliverance by his death on the cross. This substitutionary atonement, a term we sometimes use. As he takes our sins upon himself. As God meets out his judgment on that sin, that we are forgiven, that we are freed from sin, from the power of the evil one, that's how Jesus brings about deliverance. That's what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. That is how it is explained by the eyewitnesses. That's the definition that we're given. You see, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they will speak of Jesus Christ You have the church of Jesus Christ and of the Latter-day Saints. Jesus Christ is in the title. But the Jesus they worship is not the Jesus of the gospel. Not the Jesus Christ that is presented to us. Which also, it just means that we need to be a bit cautious. Just because someone uses the term Jesus Christ, they can use that term and still deny that Jesus is the Christ as John defines it here. So we just need to be aware. Again, with scams, you, know, you look at something 
initially, and it seems like it might be genuine until you compare it with the genuine article. And upon that careful and closer look and examination, now we see which is genuine and which is fake. There's a whole manner of ways that this teaching of denying Jesus as the Christ might be made manifest. And yet some of those denials of core doctrines, as we would see in Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, perhaps they're the more obvious ones to spot. As we considered last week in our other passages, what are some of those signs of subtle drift? What are the things that we need to be aware for, even within our own hearts? Even if we're not an antichrist teacher, that we might be sucked in by an antichrist teaching. What are some of those subtle drifts that we need to watch out for? Not just a, a denial of, of doctrines, but, but practical denial. Because to deny that Jesus is the Christ is ultimately to say, you know, there is another way. There is some other form of deliverance, some other mini-Christ for me. And really it feeds back into what we read in verse 15 of the way of the world. And the pride of life, the pride of possessions that this thing that I'm going to take pride in because this is where my security is found. This is how I'm going to experience life and have life to its fullness through this thing that I possess. These subtle lies uh, that, that teach us, present us with many Christs, other Christs, that promise this redemption, this alternative security. You know, and it may be a possession of an object, possessing some sort of object like, like money and wealth. It might be possessing some sort of relationship, like marriage, possessing a status. It might be even possessing a certain quality like intelligence or or wit or or charisma or physical strength or something. And none of these things are necessarily bad in themselves. And yet when something is presented in such a way that it takes the place of Jesus as the Christ, it becomes an antichrist teaching. And those can be some of the subtle ways that it happens. When anything is presented as taking the place of Jesus as the Christ, it becomes an antichrist teaching. And antichrist teachings are a lie. And they're a scam. And they would seek to rob us of the life and the joy that we are given in Christ. And so don't be scammed. Renounce the world. Recognize the light. And finally, most importantly, remain in Christ. Verse 24, as for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. So remain, remain, don't deviate from that message as it was originally given, that which you have heard from the beginning, the message of the gospel. This message that life is in Christ. That our security is found. It's not in what we possess. It's not found in in possessing these material things. It's not found in, in possessing a particular relationship or status. It's not found in possessing certain qualities or achievements 
Life is only secured through Jesus Christ. As we've read in chapter 2, that this life that we experience, life is given because we are brought into relationship with God. He is the one who possesses life. And we are brought into that relationship through the forgiveness of sins, the sins that separated us from God. Our rebellion, our turning away from God and walking in the darkness, God has dealt with decisively through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, who is our advocate, who makes certain, who makes secure that forgiveness. So that, as we considered last week, there is no doubt that when we come to God in confession, as we confess our sins, he will forgive them. He is faithful and just. He forgives them. Why? On account of his name. That is the only means of security. And it is through Jesus, through his death on the cross, and through the new life that we experience in him through the resurrection and through his ascension as he's poured out his spirit upon us. It's not in what we possess. It's not a thing that we possess. We need to possess anything. As we sung earlier, I am his and he is mine. That we are his possession. And we possess him. The life that we possess is in Christ. It's not because of anything that is in our hand. There is one way for all. For all, there is only one way. And yet through Christ, it is a way that is opened potentially to all. Because it is not about what we possess, then at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you have or what you lack. So long as you have Christ. That's all we need. So we're called to abide in him. And the moment we seek to embrace any other message, any anti-Christ message that would proclaim that there is a different Christ, that Jesus is not the Christ, you know, it, it robs us of our source of hope and of life. Life is found in him. And this message, this message that we have heard from the beginning, now it is to remain in us, this message is to remain in us as a church. All we have is Christ, and if that's all we have, it's all we need. All we have is Christ. Hallelujah, praise God. Because this is what he has promised. Eternal life. Just then John goes on to say, I'm writing to these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeits, just as it has taught you, remain in him. You do not need anyone to teach you. Okay, so how does that square with Paul's words in Ephesians? Because Christ has given to the church teachers. I mean, Rich and I will just walk out now. We're early retirement, we're done. You do not need anyone to teach you. Why do you not need anyone to teach you? What, in the context of what's been written here. 
You don't need anyone to teach you. Why? Because you already know the truth. Remember, verse 21, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and no lie comes from the truth. You don't need anyone to teach you the truth. You know it. The anointing that you have received, it remains in you. That anointing, the spirit that Jesus has poured out as he made the promise to his disciples, I'm going to go, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send another who's going to be a helper. Another, paraclete is the word, I I can't think of the the English for some reason at the moment. Um, But another, where are we? Uh, Advocate. I'm going to send another advocate. Another who's going to be with you, the Spirit. And he's going to lead you into all truth. And how does the Spirit lead into all truth? Well, he opens our eyes to the truth of Scripture, to the truth of the apostolic witness. The message as it was originally given, as it's received in the Scriptures. That's what it means for the Spirit to to lead us into all truth. And he has opened the eyes of this congregation that John is writing to. He's opened our eyes. So you don't need someone to teach you the truth. You've received the truth. You don't need these false teachers telling you actually there's something else that you need. John's saying you don't even need me to tell you what the truth is because you know it. It's found in him. The Spirit has revealed it to you. And you are in Christ. Now, as the Spirit teaches you, remain in him. Continue in him. We don't need something new. You said scams seek to draw us in by convincing us either we've, we've lost something or we lack something. But in Christ, no, we don't lack anything and we're not going to lose anything. Those voices that are coming trying to teach you, you can silence them because you don't need them. We don't need a new revelation of salvation. But we need to remain in him. We're not to wander from the truth, but we are to wonder at the glory of God in Christ. We don't need this new teaching about salvation, but we do need a fresh revelation, an ongoing revelation, a deepening knowledge, an experiential knowledge of the life, of the fellowship that we have with the Father through the Son that we treasure and remain in him. So let's pray for that now. Father, we thank you that you have in your great grace and your mercy, Lord, opened our eyes to the truth. Lord, for our our complete and utter need for you. Lord, and your great and abundant mercy and grace that is lavished upon us in Christ, that you have brought us who were far away, you have brought us near. Continue to to open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to give us a deepening, a, a fresh revelation of the way that you have opened up in Christ, that we would see all the the riches of fellowship with Christ, of fellowship with you. Father, that our hearts would be so full 
that we would continue and remain in Christ, that we would not be drawn away by the deceptive voices of the enemy, by those forces that would seek to derail us. But that our joy, that our delight, that our life, that our hope uh, would be now and forever in Christ. Amen.